0: I'm going to be talking from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, and I really want to focus on verse 7, 8, and 9 of that passage, just to cue you in a little bit about what the writer says in chapter 1, because there's a therefore at the beginning of chapter 2. In chapter 1, he's pointing out the superiority of Christ over angels, he's pointing out the superiority of Christ's new covenant over the old covenant, and therefore as we dip into Hebrews chapter 2, he writes this, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. As we look uh, to the new year, I wonder what hopes and plans and dreams you might have, what aspirations, even resolutions you may have made. I hope that you do have some hopes and plans and dreams for this coming year. Maybe they're just simple things like, uh, I'm going to go on holiday somewhere. Perhaps you've already... You've already booked that, or you've got that in mind. Or maybe it's to grow in love for God and others, a noble aim, to be less self-centered. Maybe it's to buy a new car. Maybe you've got something in mind. Maybe you've been doing some research already. Maybe it's a, a hope for some better health this year, or to be a blessing for others, or, or even more recently, maybe just to get a bargain in the sales, if it's not too late. I don't know. I haven't been out. to Have a look. Or maybe it's for your children to do well at school. You've got children, maybe they've got exams coming up, and your aspirations for them to do well. Or maybe you want to read through the Bible in a year. You've set yourself that task at the beginning of this new year. I don't know. What prayers are you praying? What are your requests before God? I hope that you do have some. Some prayers are difficult to express. It's my experience anyway. Some deep things in your heart. There's a longing In all of us, I guess, for something more. There's a longing in the human heart for something better. Whether it's for yourself, as we heard in the temptation that John was talking about. I don't want to be like this. I want to change. I want to be free from that problem. Or maybe it's a a desire for others. That you want some improvement for them in their life. Or you want something of the kingdom to come in their life. Or maybe it's for nations you know, you're praying for a nation. Last, I mean, I pray for Nepal pretty regularly, but also last year I was kind of touched. I don't know why. Perhaps it was because it was in the news to pray for North Korea and the kind of tough situation that the people there face, especially God's people, just kind of praying for a change there, praying for, for a righteous government to come into power. There's a longing for something better, for some improvement. There's a longing within us for a better world than we live in now. And maybe you've been praying for something for quite some time. And you haven't yet seen an answer. Or maybe you've been disappointed with prayer. I read a verse in the Psalms last year, towards the end of last year, that encouraged me. It was from Psalm 38, verse 9, where the writer writes this, All my longings lie open before you. O Lord, my sighing is not hidden from you. All my longings. Lie open before you, O Lord. My sign is not hidden from you. And there's three simple points I'd like to make this morning from the last three verses of that passage that I just read. The first one is this we live in a fallen world. The second one is we live in a new world. And the third one is we live in a world in between. Now, I hope that that will become clear what I mean as I go along. So, the first one we live in a fallen world. You know, when humankind was originally created, God created humankind with unique dignity. You know, we were created originally with unique dignity, perfect, blameless, in the image of God, created to live in paradise. Wow, where there was no pain, no suffering, no death, where there was profound intimacy between man and woman. And between man, woman, and God, uninterrupted, untainted, uncorrupted fellowship with one another and with God. Mankind was created with unique purpose. Now God says, Now replenish the earth, fill the earth, export this paradise that I've created for you to the whole earth, and rule. Rule the earth as my delegated rulers. Because I want my glory to be seen in all the earth through you, the pinnacle of my creation. What possibilities, what opportunities there were. With God's mankind created, with God's favor, and with special privilege. You can have, apart from that one tree, you can have whatever you want to eat. No problem. Throughout the whole earth, I made it all for you. I want you to enjoy it. And then I'm going to bring all the animals before you. I'm going to give you dominion. You can name them. Is a sign that you have dominion over them. You're going to have dominion over the fish. You're going to have dominion over the birds. You're going to have dominion over the creatures of the earth. So God's favor and special privilege. But of course we know that things went wrong very quickly. Sid came in. Suffering came in. Death came in. The earth itself is something desperately wrong in creation. We see it in nature. Floods. Earthquakes, tornadoes, there's something wrong. There's a groaning. There's a built-in frustration, which the Apostle Paul tells us about in Romans 8. In the whole created order, there's a frustration. There's a longing within us. We want something better than this. And now we find, as humankind, we're limited in our dominion. Originally, mankind was in harmony with both God and nature. We look around us and we see it's all gone wrong. Let me just give you a couple of examples. The rainforest, the destruction of the rainforest between 1970 and 2012. Could I have that first picture up, please? Roughly 224,000 square miles of the rainforest has been destroyed since 1980. So if you look at the picture on the left, that's the way it was. If you look at the picture on the right, that's the way it is now. So maybe not quite so distinct there, but many, a lot of it's been destroyed. In fact, over twice the whole area of the United Kingdom of the rainforest has been destroyed in the last 30-odd years. Here's another example of man's failure to rule the earth properly. is the Aral Sea. Go have the next one, please. The Aral Sea. So there we have six pictures. On the top left in picture A is the Aral Sea as it was. Now, the Aral Sea, in case you don't know, is in Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. And in the uh, Soviet era, they decided that they would divert the rivers that fed the Aral Sea in order to irrigate some of the land. Maybe not such a bad idea, you might think. But they did it very badly indeed. And most of the water that was diverted out of the Aral Sea ended up evaporating because they didn't waterproof the channels that the water was going through. And it's been an ecological disaster. And many people now suffer illnesses because of the salt, salts that, uh, the salt wasteland that is infecting their lungs and all this kind of stuff. It's been an absolute ecological disaster. We live, Thank you, Carlos. We live in a fallen world. Not only are we limited in our our dominion, but there's been a loss of dignity in humankind, how we treat one another. So many wars and barbaric acts, even on the streets of London in the daytime, where a young off-duty soldier not that long ago was murdered in broad daylight, barbarically murdered. And then his perpetrators, and one guy was only 22 years old, can you believe it? You know, rampaging down the street with a bloody knife, being proud of what they've done, and saying, we've done it in the name of God. I mean, what has happened to the human race? There's been a huge loss of dignity, both personally and internationally. We live in a fallen world. In other words, it's a big mess that we live in. We live in the midst of a big mess. Now, I'm sure you're all aware of that already. You probably don't need me to tell you that. You're probably sitting there thinking, well, I know that. Now, if that was the end of the story, it would be pretty hopeless and pretty depressing. But through Christ, we see what was really meant to be. Which brings me to my second point, which is this. We also live in a new world. Yes, we live in a fallen world, but we also live in a new world. Because a very special child was born. And he was going to be made a little lower and the angels. I love that expression. Here comes the almighty son of God, the one who places the stars in space. You know, there's a song that we sung, used to sing, occasionally we might sing it now, about uh, Christ. He flung stars into space. Goes the hands that flung stars into space. And I've always had a little check on that thinking, did he fling them or did he place them? and i thought well maybe he'd both if i want to be kind but i thought maybe i think he names the stars so i suspect he placed them but i don't know but anyway he places the stars in space he breathes life into every living creature he upholds the universe by his word of power and he's going to come in a manner which has been foretold but in a way that is hard to grasp a baby wrapped in swaddling bands and laid in a manger, vulnerable, hunted from birth, a mad king seeking to murder him, dependent on his mother and father, a refugee in a foreign land. And that's only the beginning of his life. And yet Isaiah also writes this, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So here he comes, this special child, born into this broken, fallen, nasty, messy, corrupt world. And he comes as this vulnerable, with no beauty or majesty that we should desire him, Isaiah writes. Now it's very interesting, Uh, particularly in Western art, there have been many attempts to depict what Christ looks like. And in the movies, many uh, attempts there of what he should look like. And often he's got fair hair and blue eyes, which he probably wouldn't have had. Only uh, last week, I think it was, or just before Christmas, I saw yet another attempt to depict Jesus. I saw a picture on the internet of what people think he might have looked like. But this time, he was depicted more as a first-century Jewish man, they'd done some research and the type of hairstyle and the beard they might have had and the coloring of the person, the eye color, the shape of the nose and all this kind of stuff. So there was yet another depiction of what Christ looked like. But unlike the world's obsession with outward beauty, Christ's beauty is nothing to do with his outward appearance, but his perfect character. And Isaiah further prophesies that the government will be on his shoulders, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So this little fragile child, whose birth we celebrated just over a week ago, he's going to come. There's going to be no beauty, outward beauty, that we're going to desire him. He's going to be pretty ordinary, pretty plain as he comes, but he breaks into this fallen world. And he begins to do something rather special. He's going to be a ruler. He's going to reign. But his rule and his reign is not going to be established politically. It's not going to be established militarily. It's going to be established in the hearts and minds of ordinary people throughout the whole earth. Ordinary people like you and me, sitting on this 3rd of January 2016 here in King's Church, High Wycombe, that he comes, the supreme ruler of his government and of peace. There will be no end. And he breaks into the fallen world and he comes to establish something new. He comes He comes to establish a new order. He comes to establish a new world. But we have to realize this, that he establishes it in the midst of the broken, the fallen, the corrupt, the evil world into which you and I are also born and we live. And we wrestle with things outward. And we wrestle with things inward. Why? Because we live in a broken, fallen, damaged world. And it was never meant to be like this. It was never God's absolute intention that would become like this. But we made a colossal error. And when I say we, I mean that deliberately. Because our forefathers, Adam and Eve, we were in them. we made a colossal error when we decided to go our own way and do something that God forbade us from doing. But Christ comes, and his rule is going to be established in ordinary hearts and minds. And he comes to start this totally new order in your and my heart. And how is he going to do it? Well, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Do you know, as I was preparing this, I felt the Lord just give me a little... Simple prophetic word, which I'd like to just share with you. It's only a few lines long. I felt the Lord saying this. The Lord says, I can take a little plant and grow it through the solid concrete. I can take a rose and make it bloom in the desert. I can take a lump of clay and make it live and breathe. I can speak a word, and things spring to life. I can take a damaged life and make it anew. I can take your life, however damaged it may be, and make it new. You see, although we lose dominion, we've lost a huge amount of dominion over the earth. It's amazing that we see when Christ comes, how he exercises that dominion. Let me give you some examples of that. So, for example, over the fish, the disciples have been fishing all night. Jesus says, Just go out there, caution it on that side for a catch of fish. Ah, but we've toiled all night, we've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll do it. And they do it, and they get a huge amount of fish. Christ has dominion over the fish. He tells the fish where to go. And he does it more than once, and he does it when Peter says, Should we pay tax? And uh, Jesus said, will just go down and fish. And the first fish, bring it out. And in the fish's mouth, there's going to be a coin. Christ is exercising dominion over the fish of the sea. Jesus says to Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And exactly that happens. Peter denies him three times, and then the cock crows. Christ has dominion over the birds of the air. And then he says to the disciples, Go into the town and you'll see a a colt, a a donkey that's never been ridden on. Just bring it here. And they bring it. And what happens? Christ has dominion over that animal. Sits on it and it's peaceful. It's tranquil. Should have thrown him off. But not only that, we see Christ exercising dominion here. It says here, you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. We see him exercising dominion over sickness over demonic past. Get out of that manner. don't you ever come back. We see him exercising dominion over nature. To the wild storm. That tosses the disciples around in the boat. Be calm. Be still. And immediately it's still. He has dominion. We see him having dominion over death. Lazarus come out of that tomb. Christ has never lost the dominion. He comes and He comes to reestablish the dominion of God Himself in the hearts and minds of people like you and me. So, a new world has already begun. I've come to give you new birth. I've come to make a new creation. And I'm doing it right now, right here in this place, in High Wycombe, in the 21st century. Christ's work is continuing. So we live in a fallen world. But we also live in a new world because the kingdom of God has broken in. The rule and reign of Jesus Christ has broken in. It has broken into your heart and mind. Is that an amen? But we live also, my final point, in a world in between. We live in an in-between world. We live in the fallen world into which the new creation has broken. It says in verse 8, the second part, in putting everything under him, i.e. Christ, God left nothing, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. This, I think, could be an incredibly key verse for 2016, for your life and my life. So I want to read it again. And it's to do, it's talking about Christ here. Let's be clear about that. Second part of verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 2. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. So in this in-between world, there are difficulties to overcome. There is temptation. We heard that already today. There is pain. There is death. There are things we don't understand. Do you know, I think we need to be very clear about this as we advance into this year. Sometimes I think there are certain dangers in Christianity. One of them is that we are triumphalistic. We overthink the kingdom has come. And we get triumphalistic. We think, oh, it's all going to be happening now. No, it's not. It's not all going to be happening now. Yes, we're seeking more of the kingdom to come. Yes, we're asking God for more of the kingdom to come. But there are going to be gaps. Mind the gap. Okay? Mind the gap in 2016. Things we don't So why did this person die so young? Why is that person suffering the way they are? Where's the Lord in all of this? Does he care? Does he see? Why doesn't he do something? We've prayed and things haven't got any better. In fact, they've got worse. I wonder, have you ever thought some of these things or is it just me? We have yet to see the full impact of Christ's authority. So we live in the time of the rule and reign of Jesus having arrived, but not fully. The kingdom is both now and not yet. So I guess the big question for me is this. I don't know what the big question for you is, but let me share what the big question for me in all of this is. And that I'm proposing to give one answer. There may be many, but I'm just going to give you one answer answer that i have found personally really helpful in terms of living in the world in between we live in a fallen world but the new world is broken in but not fully so we're living in that in-between world so how do we face the challenges of living in this in-between world well this is the one thing i want to say really is this that faith and reason can go together and I'll explain that. Faith and reason can go together. You see, I reason this. I reason this. Jesus knows every step of the way from personal experience. Been thinking about this. So, for example, he is a busy man. How many times have I said recently, I've been very busy? Or, I think for some people in 2015, whenever I've said to them, how are you? I've been very busy. Well, Jesus was very busy, okay? And he had an enormous amount of pressure on him. And one day he was out and it was a hot, sunny day and he was tired. And he sat down by a well and he was thirsty. But he didn't have anything to get water out of the well with. So he was dependent on someone else to do it for him. So he was hungry, he was thirsty, he was dependent, he was tired. You know, he knew rejection as well from his own family. They were saying he's mad. And then his own community, what did they want? They wanted to murder him. Can you believe it? He goes to the synagogue and he announces the good news. And what did they want to do? They want to throw him off the nearest cliff. So Jesus knew opposition in his life. Hatred from his own community. Slander. You know, Oh, the reason you're able to do that is you're possessed by the devil. That's how you can do those miracles and signs and wonders. You know, He was a victim of slander. He knew tears. Stood outside Lazarus' tomb. And I'm sure there were other sad occasions for him. Otherwise, why is he described as a man of sorrows? Yes, he knew great joy as well when the disciples came back and said, We saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And Jesus was rejoicing. Not because of that, but because of other things. But at the same time, described as a man of sorrow. So he certainly knew what it was to be sad. To have tears. He was a victim of physical violence. Where they blindfolded him. And they took a stick and they hit him around the head. And he couldn't see when the next blow was coming. And they spat on his face. And she merely stripped his clothes off. Mocked him. Put a crown of thorns on his head. So I reason these things. I think about these things. He's been in the most stressful of situations. That's another refrain that I hear in 2015. Oh, it's been so stressful. It's a very stressful time. And yeah, we all go through a stressful time. Stressful times in our life. Jesus certainly knew what it is to be in a stressful situation. The kangaroo court set up in order to frame him. In order to render a judgment against him completely, unjustly, unfairly. Oh, this man said he was going to th- pull down the temple. And he was going to rebuild it. and He was going to pull down our beautiful temple. He was going to take all the stones. Now, he said that. No, he was talking about his body. It was a kangaroo court. And he was subject to injustice, betrayal. One of his close friends into whom he had input his life for three years betrays him, as Stuart Reed told us the other day, with a kiss. Jesus knew what it was to suffer. He knew what it was to live in the brokenness of this fallen world. He knew what it was to be subject to the sinful actions of others. He knew what it was to face death and his own death as he sweats those drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane. And I reason these things and I think about these things and I see Jesus made a little lower than the angels suffering death and such a barbarous death on the cross where they pierce his hands and his feet. All who see me mock at me, he says. And I reason, I think about that. And I ask myself this question. Can I trust someone like that? Even when I don't know why things are happening the way they are. Can I trust them? No one takes my life from me, Jesus said, but I lay it down freely. Can I trust someone like that? I can't explain that person's suffering. You might ask me, why is that person suffering? Why are they going through those difficulties? I don't know. I wish they didn't. I pray they don't. I want to see a better world. I have a longing. I don't like to see that. I hate seeing it. I don't know why that person died at a young age. I don't know. I don't know why those prayers have not been answered. You know, I've been praying for that person for such a long time. And I've seen nothing. I feel like giving up. Is there anybody out there listening? Come on. But then I see Jesus. See, Jesus made a little lower than the angels. And how he suffered death. And I think this. I think he understands He knows 100% what it is like to live in this broken, damaged world. Can I trust him? Is the question I ask myself. Can you trust him? With your unanswered questions. Can you trust him with those situations that you face where you were hoping for something better? And it's not happening. Maybe it's got worse. But can you trust The one who was made a little lower than the angels. So, in my case, I think, yes, I can. I can trust you, Jesus. I don't know all the answers. I I, I never will know all the answers. I don't know. But I do see you. And I see you made a little lower than the angels. So, does that make me passive? Does that make me fatalistic? I was really encouraged as we sang that song this morning about prayer. You know, let unanswered prayer rise again to you. It just inspired my faith again. I thought, yeah, you're right. Let's not give up. Let's persevere. Let unanswered... Yeah, have you got unanswered prayer? few. I have. So this morning when we sang that song, I thought, yeah, come on. Come on, Ronnie. Don't give up. Let unanswered prayer rise again to you. So I was just again saying, Lord, please, can you whatever it was. Does it make me fatalistic? Oh, well, that's just the way it goes. No, it doesn't make me fatalistic. I want to see the kingdom come. I want to see God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to see people saved. I want to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in the hearts and minds of many people being revealed. I want to see a smile put on people's face because they know who Jesus is and they know that they're loved by God and they know that they're eternally safe in his hands because no one can snatch them out of his hands. I want to see that. Am I going to stop because I don't understand things? Am I going to stop because there are times of difficulty and hardship and suffering? No, I'm not going to stop. I keep going because I see Jesus made a little lower than the angels because of the suffering of death, but he's now crowned with glory and honor, and he's at the right hand of the Father on high, and all authority is his on heaven and on earth, and I see it, I reason it, and I believe it. My faith reaches out, even though I don't understand everything. I see Jesus is there at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for you and me. He's on our side. He desires our good, and he's going to bring us before his presence with exceeding joy and fault on that great day. Amen? And therefore, we place our faith and trust in Him even though there are heartache, even though there are difficulties, even though there are obstacles, even though there are disappointments. We trust the One who died on the cross for us. I still ask questions. I still try to find answers. But I do have a confidence in the One who loves us. I know that His loving kindness is Will always be with us. The writer to the Hebrews later on says this. Let us fix our eyes. On my problems. Let us fix my eyes on my difficulties. Let us fix our eyes on all the hassles of life. Let us fix our eyes on my failures. Does he say that? Let us fix my eyes on how well I'm doing this year. No. Let us fix our eyes on. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Okay. The author and perfecter of our faith. You see, I find that when I take my eyes off Jesus and put them on myself, I get very disappointed very quickly. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming. It's already begun. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Death will be no more. This is where my faith comes in and gets galvanized. Those deep longings for something better that we can't always express will be fulfilled one day. Yes, I want to see it now as well. But I realize I'm not going to see it all. I may see part of it. I see in part. I know in part. But when the perfect comes, then I'll know it completely. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We know where we're going if we've committed our lives to Jesus Christ. We're going to be with Him forever. Yes, there are difficulties. Yes, there are heartaches. Yes, there is pain. Yes, there is disappointment. Because we live in the midst of a fallen world and we won't be able to have all the answers. However, we look to the one who we can absolutely fully trust, the one made a little lower than the angels, wrapped in swaddling bands, laid in a manger, persecuted by the king of the day, having to flee as a refugee, having to be rejected by his own community, hated by his own community, tried to be murdered by his own community, rejected by his own family, betrayed by his disciple, uh, kangaroo court, suffering the painful, agonizing crucifixion death on the cross, now crowned with glory and honor. He's been through it all. He understands fully human, fully God. I don't know what your 2015 was like. If it was like mine, there were some high points and low points. We had a birth in our family, we had a marriage in our family. Those were high points, times of great happiness and rejoicing. But we've also had a serious illness in the family, which we're still facing. It's not a high point. It's a low point. What will 2016 bring? I don't know. But I do know this. Jesus will be with us through them. Amen? And there's no one better to journey with